We are finishing up our sermon series entitled Better this morning. Next month we'll begin, next Sunday we'll begin a new series on idolatry. I'm really excited about that series. It's a subject that I've talked about before. It's a subject that's kind of close to my heart because it wasn't one that I ever heard explored much when I was a young person growing up in the church. And now I think that it is imperative that we talk about idolatry and how it still remains a problem in the heart's of many of us. And so we'll talk about that beginning next month. But today, again, we're finishing up, wrapping up this series on living better lives, being better people, being better disciples of Jesus. And we've discovered, hopefully, as we've looked at the book of Ephesians, that being a better person, being a better father, being a better mother, resisting temptation and sin, doing the good things that we should do, isn't just a matter of trying harder. Because the people in the world are trying hard, aren't they? They're trying hard to have a good life. They're trying hard to be good people and to live a good life. But the problem is that they're striving in the darkness. Christians, on the other hand, should be those that have come out of darkness and into the light. Our hearts, the eyes of our hearts have been enlightened, not by inner truth, but by the truth that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've talked about how the gospel shines a light on everything so that our striving and our working to be better and to live better is done in such a way that God is glorified and we grow in a positive way. We talked about things like our identity and how outside of Christ, our identity is pretty hopeless, isn't it? In spite of what the world says about us, you're a great person, you're so smart, you're so strong, all of these things. The truth is that in and of myself, I'm none of those things. I'm not even good. Outside of Jesus, my identity is dead. But in Christ, we are Saints. Isn't that right, church? We are saints. That's not something that we hope to attain to. That's an identity that we have received in Christ Jesus. And receiving sainthood, receiving that forgiveness that makes us a different person, a new person, ought to change the way that we live. We talked about working and doing good deeds, not in an effort to save ourselves, but out of gratitude that we are saved. And that's what grace and the works that come out of grace is all about. We talked last week about praying, just as Chip led us in a beautiful prayer this morning, praying about that inner strength. Not just that God changes our circumstances, but that God changes us in our inner being. And so we've been talking about all of these different themes as we go throughout the book of Ephesians and how all of these things help to equip us, as the sixth chapter talks about, with this armor of God so that we can stand firm against Satan's schemes, right? I mean, we've talked about the armor of God all of our lives probably, even in vacation Bible schools and Bible classes and the helmet and the the breastplate and the, the belt and the shoes and all of these things. You can't put those things on without an understanding. That's what it's all about. You can't have the helmet of salvation on your head unless you really understand what salvation is all about. You can't have the breastplate of righteousness unless you understand what righteousness is about. You can't have the belt of truth unless you know the truth. You can't have your feet ready with the gospel unless you know the gospel. It's not just about the things that you do and how hard you're working. It's about your understanding, your comprehension. 
Which leads us to our final lesson that we're going to talk about today. I want you to think about golf as we start off. Now, I'm not a golfer. I agree with whoever it was that said, I think it might have been Churchill, said that uh, golf is a, a nice walk in the park spoiled by a little white ball. That's kind of how I feel about it. I, I, I have played golf, so if that makes me a golfer, I guess I'm a golfer. But if you've ever seen me play golf, you would say, well, that guy is anything but a golfer. But let's suppose that you're a golfer, and probably many of you are, but even if you're not and you're like me and you can't hit one straight to save your life, let's assume that you are and your goal is to get better at golf, right? I mean, everybody, even good golfers, want to get better, right? They want to improve their game. What would you do if you wanted to improve your game? Well, you'd you'd try harder, right? You'd you'd work harder at it. You'd put, invest more hours into your golf game, wouldn't you? You'd you'd be on the the driving range or the putting green or you'd be making chip shots, whatever it was that you needed to work on and get better at. But primarily, your effort would be an individual effort, wouldn't it? I mean, you might ask for advice and tips from other people. You might go to the clubhouse and find some people, maybe a golf pro, that would give you some tips, advice, encouragement. Maybe your friends and your buddies give you some tips and some pointers on how to be better, how to improve your game, how to work harder and try harder and do better. Now, I think that that's how we tend to think about our spiritual lives. We tend to think of our spiritual lives as primarily an individual effort, right? Where we might come together once a week or maybe even twice a week and get some advice and some input from other people. Maybe they're going to encourage us a little bit. Maybe the preacher is going to give us something to think about and we'll get some tips, some pointers, some advice, and then we're going to go out individually and try harder and work harder at it. Now, There may be some truth to some of that a little bit, but I think if we're going to compare the Christian walk and and living a spiritual life and trying harder and living a better life, then it, it really shouldn't be compared to an individual sport like golf. It really is a team sport. It's really a team effort. And that's where I think we get confused. See, other world religions may may really emphasize just your inner peace and, and that you be at peace and that you have a happiness and that you have a joy or even that you live a good moral life, right? And certainly Christianity has a lot to say about those things. Christ gives us a peace that passes understanding. Christ saves us as individuals. We must, as individuals, commit our lives to Jesus. But that's just part of the picture. You see, Jesus didn't save you just for your sake. Jesus didn't save you to be isolated and to strive and to work as an individual. He saved you to bring you together into a community, into a body where you don't lose your individuality. On on a football team, each individual player has their own gifts, has their own strength, has their own personality, and they bring that to the team. But you can't approach a team sport, you can't approach a team effort the same way you do an individual effort, right? I mean, a a defensive lineman, I mean, he can be the, the best in the world, he can work on his game, but until he brings it in and works together with the team, it's useless. See, Christianity is a team effort. And until we understand the significance and the importance, in fact, the role that the church plays with salvation, then I think we're going to be striving in vain 
to be better people because we don't even realize what we ought to be striving towards and how we ought to be striving. That's where I want to get to the fourth chapter of Ephesians. We've got a lot of text to get through and hopefully we can make it through. we got at least, what, two hours to go? So... Uh... You laugh like that wasn't true. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's look at the text. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. So Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Now, what, what does that have to do with anything, right? What difference does it make that he's a prisoner? He's saying, I so believe these truths that I'm laying on the line for you. I'm, I so believe and know these things to be the truth that I'm willing to be a prisoner for the Lord. I've given up everything, my freedom, in order to be the person that God has called me to be. And that's why I'm telling these things to you. So I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see, Ephesians 4 is kind of where the, the switch is flipped, so to speak. So Paul has spent the first three chapters, and that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks, the first three chapters talking about, here's your calling. Here's who you are. Here's who you're invited to be. You're invited to be saints. You're invited to be saved. You're invited to be forgiven. You're invited to walk in the good works that Christ God has prepared for you to walk in. This is your calling. And he says, now, therefore, now that you know your calling and you understand your calling, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Does that mean just stop sinning? Well, sure, it means stop sinning, right? I mean, how could you walk in a way that's worthy of the calling of Christ and continue in sin? As he says in Romans chapter 6, can we, we, we died to that stuff. How could we live in it any longer? You can't go on sinning so that grace may abound. Forget that. That's not what grace is all about. Grace calls you to a higher life, a better life. But it's not just about stop sinning and do good. It is that, but it's not just that. See, because when he goes on, he talks about the body. Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Some translations say tolerating one another or loving tolerance, put up with each other. Because we know if we've been around anybody, you've been around me long enough, you know I'm hard to put up with sometimes. You know you have to bear with me sometimes. And Paul says, this this is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. This is what you're called to. You're called to a life not of individuality. That doesn't mean you lose your individual personality or you lose your, your sense of identity. But you're not called to a life of individuality. You're called to a life of unity. You're called to a life of community. You're called to a life of being one. And in order for you to be one, you have to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which means you walk with humility and gentleness, with patience, that you put up with each other lovingly. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to hold this together. We didn't create this, church. We didn't create the relationship that we have in Christ Jesus. God, through Christ, created this and He gave us His Spirit to make us one. And He said, hold on to each other with all your might. This is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Church life. That's what it looks like. 
Not just you living an individual life and you being happy with the life that you're living or trying individually to be a good person. Walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, it means those things, no doubt. You've got to individually decide to walk with Jesus and yes, you've got to strive and you've got to do these things, but it looks like holding on to each other in love, being patient with each other, being gentle with each other. Look at the next verse, verse 4. There is, and this is why, and again, Paul is always urging them based on the gospel, right? It's not, he has the right to command them to just say, hey, I'm an apostle of Jesus. I command you, get along, right? I command you to bear with each other. I command you to be gentle and kind to each other. I command you to love each other. But, but that's not the way Paul operates. I don't think that's the way we ought to operate either. I think we ought to lay out the gospel. I say, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is who God is. This is what Jesus has done. And based on those things, I urge you, I plead with you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see? I mean, it's like saying to a football team, I mean, we've got one school, and we got one mascot, and we got one flag, and we got one goal, and we've got one coach, and we've got one, all of these things that we have in common. This is who we are. We are one people with one hope. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. This is who we are. We are one people. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, but grace was given to each one of us, or gifts were given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see, I, I love to compare Ephesians 4 with like 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 13. We talked about that a little bit last Sunday night if you were here, but Paul's saying, listen, we're one body. And yes, that one body is made up of individuals who have individual gifts. But as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, each one of those gifts is given to the individual for the common good of the body. The Spirit gifts this individual, not just for that individual's sake, but for the sake of the body. Each individual of the body, each member of the body, each body part was given a strength, given a gift for the common good of the body. Then he says, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. I don't think we got a really good grasp on the ascension. I don't know that I have a really good grasp on the ascension, but I know it's more than what it, what I thought of it when I was a kid, you know, or when I was a young person growing up. I, I always thought that, that Jesus came and, and he died and he was buried and he rose from the dead and then he left us, right? And then he left. And just when it was getting good, and just when it was getting exciting, then he goes away. And it's kind of ironic. He says, right before he goes away, I'll never leave you. What? You just left. No, he didn't. The ascension isn't about Jesus leaving us. Nothing could be further from the truth. The ascension is about Jesus taking his place to rule with authority, to be the king. He's ascending to the throne, right? 
He's ascending to the throne. He's ascending to the right hand of the Father. And He's taking His place. And He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm never going to leave you. I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And this passage here says that when Jesus ascends, it's like He's he's leading this victory parade. You know in New York when they they have a ticker tape parade or something like that? Well, in Rome it was even better. And when the the victors would would come home, they would lead their captives. They would lead this victory parade to say, this is what we've accomplished. This is what we've done. And Jesus has conquered. He has defeated the enemy. As was said before the, the Lord's Supper this morning, it's finished. And He ascends on high and He leads a victory parade and He gives gifts to His people. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? He gives gifts to His people. We say, what are those gifts? Tell us about those gifts. Look at verse 11. Here are the gifts. Verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. You see what the gifts are? Paul's saying, I'm God's gift to you, right? That's what Paul's saying. I'm God's gift to you. And so are the prophets, and so are the evangelists, and so are the shepherds, that is, the elders, And teachers, we are, they are God's gifts to you, church at Ephesus, and to the whole first century church. We are Jesus' gifts. He ascends on high and He distributes gifts to His people. And here are His gifts. Apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds, teachers. Verse 12, what's their purpose? What's the purpose of these gifts? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He's saying, listen, God gave you us. God gave you apostles and prophets and shepherds and teachers so that you could be equipped for what? For work. For the work of ministry so that you can minister to each other. And isn't that so funny? The way we've gotten that so mixed up today. See, we have a tendency to think in the 21st century world, as Christians, we think that Church leadership is to minister to us, right? They exist to minister to us. The truth is, Jesus gifted the church with leaders so that they could equip the saints. That's you, right? That's your calling. That's your identity. That's who you are in Jesus. To equip the church, the saints, for the work of ministry. The the, the role of the apostles and the prophets The role of the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers isn't just to minister to you. Of course it's to minister to the saints. Everybody ministers to one another, but it's to equip you to minister to the body. By doing what? By teaching. By evangelizing. What's evangelizing? Telling the good news. That's what Paul is doing here. He's doing his job. He's doing what Jesus gifted the church for him to do. He's saying, this is the good news. This is your calling. This is who you are. Stop being who you were before. Start being who you are in Jesus. And when you embrace that calling and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, you'll minister to the body. You'll minister to one another. You'll build up the body of Christ. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith... Now, again, when you compare what Paul says here to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it seems like there's at least a hint to when the body gets to a certain age of maturity that some of these gifts, 
particularly the miraculous gifts, right, like apostles and prophets, would pass away. That that was really for the infant stage of the church. But but I want us to realize that we still have the apostles, right? And we don't have them in the flesh. And we still have the prophets, not in the flesh, not breathing here. But we still have their testimony. Though they're dead, yet they still speak, right? We have the teaching of the apostles right there in Scripture. We have the teaching of the prophets right there in Scripture. Why? Because Jesus gave them to us. He gifted them to us. When Jesus ascended to His throne, He said, my people need a gift. And I'm going to gift them with apostles. And I'm going to gift them with prophets. And I'm going to gift them with evangelists. And I'm going to gift them with shepherds and teachers. Why? So that these people, these men can equip them to minister to the rest of the body. So that the body will be built up. Look at Continue with me. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves uh, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. You see, it's, it's those two elements, isn't it? The truth and love. And love isn't just however you want to define it. It's not this warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart. And it's not just letting people know what's on your mind. Love is patient Love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, isn't rude, isn't self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. When we, we speak the truth in love, the gospel truth in love, well then the body has what it needs to do what? So that we can grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. You want to grow? This is the way you grow. You listen to the gospel you get equipped to do what? To minister. To whom? To each other. And you minister to each other. And you build up each other. And as you minister to them, and they minister to you, and you take care of them, and they take care of you, then the body is doing what the body is supposed to do. It says, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which, with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, some of you, some of us, have gotten the impression that Christianity is just about your personal happiness or your personal salvation. Can you look at this text and tell me that's true? It's not what this text says, is it? It's not just about you. It's about Jesus making you into a vital organ of His body so that you minister to the rest of the body. So that you can listen to the words of the apostles and the prophets in Scripture. So that you can listen to evangelists. So that you can listen to your elders, your shepherds, your teachers. And so that you can be equipped you can have the helmet of salvation on your head and the breastplate of righteousness on and the belt of truth and the, the, your, your feet shod with the gospel of readiness so that you can have all of this equipment so that in your hand you have the sword of the Spirit and on your arm you have the shield of faith. So that you can be the person you're supposed to be, not for your own sake alone, but for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So that you become a person who speaks the truth in love to your family. Some of you are playing a game of golf, right? And you just come here to get some tips. And then you go out and you strive on your own. 
You weren't made to be a, a golfer individually like that. You were, you're made to be part of a team. You're made to be part of a body. You're made to be part of a community. Ephesians chapter 2 says that every one of us were like stones in the temple and God dwells in us individually, yes, but also, and more importantly, corporately, together. He dwells in us as a people. You've got to be a part of the body. You not only have to be a part of the body, like show up, you have to be a minister. Say, I'm not the minister at McDermott Road. I am a minister. You say, yeah, that's right. You got Mark and you got Dave and you got Matt. No, 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 no. Not just talking about us, right? We're evangelists, right? We, we, we are ministers and we're supposed to be ministering to you, but you, each and every one of you, are supposed to be ministers. Look at that last part. And this is the part I want us to walk away with, that each part, when it's working properly, each part working properly. Now, you're the only one that can answer that for yourself. Are you working properly? Some of you may not be equipped yet, right? You may not be equipped to be the ministers that God calls you to be. Well, get equipped, right? Listen to the gospel. Listen to all of these truths. Pour it into yourself through every means available to you. But some of us are equipped. We're just not working properly. We're just not working. We're not ministering to one another. We're not building the body up in love because we're concerned more about our own individual lives than we are the life of the church. What a great opportunity that it is that this sermon fell on the same Sunday that we're trying to sign people up for life groups, right? What a great opportunity that is. I promise I didn't plan it like that, but it works, doesn't it? Because everybody needs to be plugged in and know each other. You had pain this year? You go through some difficult times this year? Well, so did some of these other people. And they need you to minister to them. And you need to be ministered to by them. We have to work together. We have to be a body. My finger doesn't exist for my finger's sake. My finger exists for the sake of the body. Jesus puts you into the body that is His so that you could work ministering to the rest of the body so that we as a group could build ourselves up together in love. But we can only do that when each part is working properly. So yeah, it's it's about trying harder and working harder to be a better person, but that doesn't happen individually. You've got to realize that the part that you play in the body of Christ and that you don't have to do it alone. Isn't that good news? You don't have to do it alone. You're not in this alone. Jesus never expected you to be a lone ranger. He never expected you to do this on your own. He gifted you with a family. He gifted you with apostles and prophets. He gifted you with evangelists. He gifted you with shepherds and teachers. He gifted you with the rest of the body. So take advantage of it and minister to the rest of the body. Stop just waiting to get ministered to and start ministering to someone else because you will never be the Christian that God calls you to be until you're equipped and you start working properly so that you can help be a part of the body building itself up in love. We desperately need you and want you not just to be here, to be, but to be a part of the ministry work that's going on here. We want you to minister to us. We want to minister to you. We want to build you up in love, and we want you to help build us up in love. Let us know how we can do that. Confess to us. Talk to us. Encourage us. Let us encourage you. Let's communicate and open those lines of communication. Let's get involved however we need to, okay? Because that's what I see in the text, that God wants us to be a family 
wants us to be a body, wants us to be a community. And maybe there's somebody here that isn't part of that body, is ready to put Christ on in baptism. Maybe you just need prayers. There's a room where the elders would love to pray with you. You can come forward. Please, let us minister to you. Please minister to us. If we can help you in any way, won't you come forward as we stand and sing?